Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. Grab a seat. I'm pleasantly surprised that you're here today. I, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when um, the 4th of July falls in the middle of the week. You know, which one is the 4th of July weekend? Is it the one before? Is it the one after? And uh, everybody has been posting so many nice and fun-looking vacation photos on, on Facebook. I thought, I may just be speaking to my wife today. I didn't know if anyone else was going to be here uh, but no, I'm glad that you guys are here today. And it probably doesn't hurt the, the air conditioning works, and I'm grateful that it does. I actually had, and this is true, I'm not, I'm not making this up and I'm not exaggerating, but I had a friend of mine uh, who pastors a church up in northeast Pennsylvania message me the other day. Uh, he and I usually joke with one another. If I get my sermon finished during the week before he does, I make sure to text him and let him know, hey, my sermon's done. And if he gets his done during the week before I do, he's like, oh, my sermon's done. I beat you. I'm a day early. And uh, this week he texted me and he said, hey, any chance uh, you'd like to swap pulpits this weekend? And I said, what? And he said, yeah, like, how about I come down and preach at your church and you come up and preach at my church? And I said, I said, well, that would be fun. I would enjoy doing that someday. But I said, wait a second, your church doesn't have AC. And, and uh, our church does. I said, you're just saying that because you want to preach in AC on Sunday, aren't you? And he's like, um, yeah, pretty much. That's the only reason I'm suggesting. So I don't know if we'll ever really do it now that it dawned on me that he just wanted to have air conditioning today because their church doesn't. And they, their parking lot is right next to the building and the sun reflects off of it. And you just cook in there. So you get an indoor tan if, uh, if you preach there at his church or even if you attend there. But it's good to see everybody today. A few weeks ago, we started looking at uh, a series that we're calling, Who is God? And we've been looking at a variety of things that Scripture reveal to, r- reveals to us about the Lord. Uh, we talked about the process of knowing God. We've also been talking about the fact that our Lord is triune in nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so two weeks ago, we looked at what Scripture tells us about God the Father. Last week, we looked at what Scripture tells us about God the Son, and today we're looking at what Scripture tells us about God the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, as Matt Thomas and our sound crew were going through the slides, he realized that I had way more slides than usual because I wanted a lot of Scripture references to show some of the things that we are saying about Jesus Christ, God the Son. Well, today is the same. Today, there's probably just as many, maybe even one more than what we had last week. So I will be bringing up a lot of slides on the screen, and many of them will only be up there for just a moment. And I'll do the same thing I did last week, um, and I'll be posting the content of these scriptures on the church Facebook on Tuesday, most likely, if everything goes well. It'll be up on Tuesday if you'd like to be able to revisit some of those things. I know some people were trying to write those things down. They will be posted on Tuesday if all goes well. But what I want to do is I want to show that the things that we're talking about today regarding the Holy Spirit aren't things that are just my opinion or just thoughts that come from the top of my head. These are things that Scripture tells us, and I want to show us the specific places that Scripture reveals these things. So, for starters, we're going to begin today by looking at John chapter 16, and we'll be looking at verses 5 down to 15. It'll be on page 902 if you're using the Bibles in front of you. But here in John chapter 16, Jesus tells us quite a few things about the Holy Spirit, and many of the references we'll be looking at today come from John chapter 16. 
So let's begin at John 16, starting with verse 5. And uh, this is what it says. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together today. And Lord, I'm just so grateful for each and every adult and each and every child that's able to gather together today to spend time in fellowship one with another, uh, spend time meditating on the truth of your word. Lord, we're just grateful that you give us this privilege to gather uh, together and to worship you on Sunday mornings. Lord, it's a gift and we're grateful for it. And Lord, we recognize that in our day-to-day lives, we deal with all sorts of stresses and we deal with all sorts of concerns and all sorts of things that can get into our heads and uh, at, at times either distract us or produce anxiety or whatever it may be. And so Lord, we recognize that those things exist, but we're also grateful that you give us a moment in time like this right now where we can set those things aside and we could focus on who you are. And so Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of scripture and some of the related scriptures that that connect to it. We pray, Lord, that we would learn more about you, more about your nature, more about your ministry, more about the work that you're accomplishing in our lives and in this world. So we set aside this time now for you, and we thank you for it. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier this week, I had the privilege to uh, hear a speaker. It was actually a recording of a speaker And this particular speaker that I was listening to, she had a very solid understanding of family dynamics. And I I very much enjoyed listening to some of the things that she was talking about. And in the midst of the things that she was talking about, one of the things that she said, she mentioned um, a family that had two children. And one of the children had special needs, and those special needs required a considerable amount of work and a considerable amount of attention from the parents the other child didn't have any particular special needs, and unfortunately, he started to feel a bit starved for attention. Uh, he started to feel a little bit unloved. He actually started to feel a bit forgotten while his parents provided much-needed care for his older sister. Now, thankfully, that uh, situation was brought to his parents' attention, and they began to take healthy steps to correct it. And I bring that up because with some irony, when it comes to the Trinity, those of us, we who believe in God, can sometimes make a similar mistake to what that family was making. Meaning, 
when we learn about and we focus on God the Father and God the Son, sometimes we're guilty of forgetting about God the Holy Spirit. In fact, some believers even begin to treat the Holy Spirit as if He isn't God or as if He doesn't possess aspects of personhood like intellect and emotions and will. So we're not going to make that mistake today. Today we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit. And as we look at what the Scripture tells us, we can learn about the Holy Spirit in some very interesting and unique ways. We can learn some amazing things about Him, what He's doing for us, how He's seeking to guide the direction that our lives take. Uh, In fact, uh, just in the, the entryway, I was talking to somebody this morning And uh, when he found out that we're speaking about the Holy Spirit today, his comment was, oh, good, because a lot of people debate certain things related to the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'd like to hear uh, what our perspective is as a church on who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit makes a point to unite us as the family of God. And so today we're not going to make the error of forgetting his union with God the Father and God the Son. So where we're going to start today is this. We're going to begin by talking about the divinity and the personality of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll admit right up front that we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures today, and today's message, I think, is a bit more on the doctrinal side, much like the last two weeks have been. But I think it's important for us to kind of set that framework, because in the midst of talking about these doctrinal things, one of the things that I hope we'll also recognize is the very personal way that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. But before we look at the things that He's doing within us and around us, I want to just take a moment to talk about who He is, His divinity, His personality. Let me reread a few of the verses Jesus shared from John chapter 16, starting with verse 13. Jesus said this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Let's pause there for just a moment. When I was a brand new pastor, uh, my wife and I lived in a very small apartment in a very rural area. It was a small apartment above a garage. It didn't have a whole lot of space, but at that point we didn't need a whole lot of space. In fact, when you look on my back deck right now, I have two green chairs that are a little bit sentimental to me because when we first got married, we didn't have any furniture. And so I went over to a store and I bought two green plastic porch chairs, and I, I just knew that, you know, they would be sufficient until our couch arrived, but the first month of our, our marriage, we were waiting for a couch that we ordered to be delivered. We didn't have a couch, and, um, and I look at those, and those chairs remind me of our first apartment, but the church that I was serving also, it was a very small building that they had, and they really didn't have a dedicated office that I could use as the pastor there, so I actually set up office space in that little apartment. Again, we didn't have kids or anything like that. We didn't have much by way of what we owned, so it all worked out. And I remember one day when I was working there in the apartment, I heard a knock on the door. And I opened the door, and there were a couple people there to greet me. And they were people that were participants in a well-known cult, and they wanted to talk to me about their perspective on God. And so we talked about who God is, and we talked about different things, and they shared a little bit, and I shared a little bit. 
And one of the things that I gathered from my conversation with them was that they viewed the Holy Spirit as more of a force and not a person, which is very incorrect, very false thinking, a very poor understanding of how God has revealed Himself. And so I did my best to try and share what the Scriptures actually teach, and they did their best to share their perspective, which was very unscriptural, but it wasn't a very fruitful discussion. It wasn't something where at the end I, I felt like all of a sudden they had this epiphany moment where a light went on and they thought, oh, now we actually understand what the Scriptures teach about God. In fact, I think they left not believing what Scripture says at all, which I thought was certainly unfortunate. And when we look at what Scripture tells us, so we started today in John chapter 16, and when we look at the teaching of Jesus and when we look at the general counsel of God's Word, it becomes quite clear that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not just an energy source or something like that. He is a person. The Spirit is united with both the Father and Son. The Spirit is God. Now, I imagine that for some people, it would be much easier to consider the Holy Spirit a person if He used a more personal-sounding name. I think the fact that we refer to Him as the Holy Spirit, or some people refer to Him as the Holy Ghost, or some people just simply refer to Him as the Spirit, I think sometimes it can be easy in our minds to disassociate the ideas of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will, with the Holy Spirit, because we're looking for a personal name. It's easier for me and easier for you to think about personhood when, when it comes to Jesus, because we're seeing a very personal name in the name of Jesus. It can be easy for us to think of personhood when it comes to God the Father, because we hear the term Father, and we think of very personal things. But when we hear the term Holy Spirit, or the designation Holy Spirit, sometimes we tend to think of, of things in a very impersonal way there. But He very much is the third person of the Trinity, and Scripture makes that very clear. And in John chapter 16, Jesus told His disciples that the time was approaching when He would be returning to the Father. And when He did so, He and the Father would be sending the Holy Spirit who would aid believers in multiple ways. And as Jesus is speaking of the Spirit here in this passage, He doesn't speak of Him in a generic way. He makes a point to speak of Him in a very personal way. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as He not it. So one of the things that I hope we take away today from looking at what Scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit is when we're speaking of the Holy Spirit, we're speaking of Him. We're not speaking of it. We never use the term it in regard to a person. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus makes a point to inform the disciples that when the Holy Spirit came, they would benefit greatly from His presence. He would do things in them, He would do things among them that were significant. Now, in time, particularly as the early church develops and more people are coming to faith in Christ, and believers uh, are, 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 the, are multiplying, there's lots of new people coming to faith in Christ, and as the events that are recorded in the book of Acts begin to take place, we can see that the disciples in particular begin to have a more mature and developed understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. So as they experienced His presence, and as they began watching Him do miraculous things within them and among them, they make a point to testify to the Holy Spirit's divinity. 
And one of the clearest examples of that kind of testimony is found in the events that are recorded in Acts chapter 5. And in Acts chapter 5, you have Peter making it clear that the Holy Spirit is indeed God. Let me read a few verses for us from Acts chapter 5. Uh, Peter says this. It says, but Peter says, or but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Just to give you context, here you have Ananias and Sapphira. They had sold some land. They were giving it uh, to the Lord's work in the church, and they decided to, instead of giving all of it, that they would give part of it, but they would lie about the fact that they were keeping part of it. They would indicate that they were giving all of it. And you have Peter addressing this. He's like, why are you telling everybody you're giving all of that when you're just giving part of it? It's yours to do whatever you want with. If you want to give part, say you're giving part. If you wanted to give all, say you're giving all, but don't lie about it. And so here he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? And he says, you have not lied to man, but to whom? God, right? He says, you have not lied to man, but to God. What is he saying? He's saying, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Here he says, you haven't lied to man, but to God. He's trying to help everybody understand. He's pointing out that the Holy Spirit is whom? God. So you haven't lied to man. You've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter is saying in the context here as other believers are around and as he's speaking these words to Ananias. So he's saying, this isn't just some sort of energy force or something like that. We're talking about God himself. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, Scripture also makes it clear to us that the Holy Spirit is doing a great work among believers in this world. Now, I will challenge you. Um, now, all right, so I am going to post all of this online, like I said, on Tuesday. But there are some words that I'm going to share here in relation to the Scriptures that I'm about to show you, related to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, that actually might have benefit to jot down if you're a note-taker, or if you're not, again, on Tuesday, these will be posted online. But I want to show you certain things that Scripture tells us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because these are things that He's doing in your life and in my life and in the lives of believers throughout this world. And there's even aspects of His ministry that he is accomplishing in regard to unbelievers with the goal of pointing them toward Christ that they too would experience the gift of salvation. So let's look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, in John chapter 16, Jesus started off by telling us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world. So he's convicting the world. Well, what is he convicting the world of? He's convicting the world of sin righteousness, and judgment. That's what Jesus says in that passage. So in particular, the Holy Spirit is convicting hard hearts that they need to repent of their unbelief and trust in Jesus. In fact, if you ever came to a spot, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has done this for you. Your heart at one point was hard toward Christ. The Holy Spirit convicted your heart and pointed out your unbelief so that you could repent of that unbelief and trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the righteousness of Christ by bringing to our attention the fact that Jesus Christ rose from death 
and return to the Father after defeating the obvious effects of sin. And he also helps us to understand that through the work Christ accomplished, Satan has been judged, and the full effects of Satan's eternal condemnation will be soon realized. So again, in John 16, verse 8, Jesus says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Scripture also tells us that the Holy Spirit has a ministry of regeneration. So what does this mean? He has a ministry of regeneration. Well, what that means is this. He regenerates those who trust in Christ, meaning he facilitates our new birth. The moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, you weren't just born physically like you were earlier in your life. You're born spiritually. You experience a new birth, a spiritual birth that Jesus expresses that all of us need. And the Holy Spirit facilitates this. He regenerates those who trust in Christ. So through the work of the Holy Spirit, we go from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also sanctifies believers. To be sanctified, if you've ever heard that term, if you're sanctifying something or if something's being sanctified, it's being set apart as holy. It's being set apart as holy unto the Lord. So when we trust in Jesus Christ and we receive His gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit sets us apart and He produces holiness in our lives. And as He does so, we're given the privilege to reflect the Lord's heart in our interactions with one another. We're also given the privilege to reflect the Lord's heart in the way that we serve the Lord. I like what it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. It shows this concept of sanctification or setting apart, where it illustrates what was done for Paul and Barnabas. But it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and by the way, let me just point that out again in regard to the Holy Spirit's personhood. The Holy Spirit what? said. You see how Scripture describes the Holy Spirit? He said, right? Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Set them apart. It's an illustration here of the fact that the Holy Spirit sanctifies. He sets apart believers as holy, as unto the Lord. That's part of His ministry. Something else that we should notice from Scripture is this. The Holy Spirit empowers believers in their daily walk with Christ. He empowers us. You and I, so when you're looking through the Scriptures, one of the things that become abundantly clear is that we've been called to follow the Lord. We've been called to testify about the Lord. We've been called to serve the Lord. One of the things that we can appreciate is the fact that we have not been called to do this under our own strength. I had the privilege the other night to play basketball with my sons and a whole bunch of 16-year-olds that my son invited over to our house, and our neighbors have a basketball hoop. And um, I like playing basketball. I like it more when it's not 150 degrees, uh, but I like it. And as I was hanging out with them and as we were doing different things, uh, I thought to myself, I thought, wow, like, and I'm watching, some of them were really, like, they, I can't dribble in any fancy way. I just, you know... 
steady plodding, and I'm watching as they're like crossing through their legs and doing different things. I was like, I never learned to do that. I always wish I learned to do that. Is it too late in my life to learn to do that? But I'm watching that. I'm like, man, like, and it was like 1030 at night when we were playing too. And I thought, how do you have the stamina to be doing this right now? Like, how how is this even possible? But I had a lot of fun and it was cool to hang out together. And when you're going through life, one of the things that you begin to realize is that we need strength. We need energy. We need power to be able to do the things that we want to do. Even on a basic level, we need strength. We need energy. And one of the things that we could be grateful is that the uh, grateful for is that the Holy Spirit, He actively empowers us. So the things that Scripture is telling us that the Lord is calling us to do, we're not even being called to do these things in our own strength. I'm not being called to rely on my own strength. You're not being called to rely on your own strength. The Holy Spirit is the one who delights to empower us to serve the Lord, to testify about Him. We're supplied with powers. The Holy Spirit works within us to accomplish all the things that the Lord wants to accomplish in our lives. In fact, I like what it tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And let me even just throw this out there as a thought. Each and every one of us on a day-to-day basis deals with all sorts of struggles in our life, and maybe even areas of temptation that you could point to in your day-to-day life. And sometimes it's tempting for us to go through life as if we're powerless. And the truth is, when you look at what Scripture says, it is ridiculous to think that you're powerless in this world. It doesn't make sense. It's so untrue. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. He actively empowers you to walk with Him. I think sometimes we tend to feel powerless was because we just we become so overly self-reliant. And if my reliance is on my own strength and my reliance is on my own power, and if your reliance is on your own strength and power, guess what? Your power and my power has limits, and eventually it runs out. So we become so adept on just being self-reliant. Yeah, in those moments, eventually we will start to feel powerless. But if we learn to go through life relying on the power that the Holy Spirit supplies, when those moments of weakness come or moments of temptation come or whatever it may be, you don't need to look at yourself as the strength, you know, the source of strength that you need in those moments. The Holy Spirit delights to empower you in your daily walk with Christ. If you ever tell yourself you're powerless, you are lying to yourself because you are not powerless. The Holy Spirit empowers you to walk with Christ actively. He's doing that. Something else that Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is doing that's truly a blessing to us is that He teaches us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The first time I ever learned that uh, was from a Sunday school teacher. By the way, those of you who take the time to teach the kids uh, in children's church or Kids Zone or Epicenter or our kids camp coming up, sometimes you may think that the kids aren't hearing the things that you're saying, but i got to tell you, they absolutely are. And the first time I ever remember anyone teaching me about the ministry of the Holy Spirit was from one of my Sunday school teachers at my home church. And what she did was, as she noticed that we were trying to read the Scriptures and as she was trying to teach us the Scriptures in class, she said this. She said, I'd encourage you to do something as you read the Scriptures. She said, I'd encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to enable you to understand what you're reading. And she explained to us that the Holy Spirit makes the Word of God clear to us. And I thought, okay, and that's the first time that I understood that that's one of the aspects of His ministry to us. 
And she said, yeah, before you're reading the Scriptures, it wouldn't hurt for you to ask the Lord to make the Scriptures clear to you so that you understand what you're reading. And Jesus, when we're looking at, at what he says in, um, well, we'll look at the Scripture in a moment in John 14, but he made it clear that the Holy Spirit teaches us, that that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He gives us understanding into what the Word of God is communicating, and he also helps us to remember the things that we've learned. There are many moments that I could point to in my life, and I bet you that I'm not the only one with this testimony. There are many moments that I could point to in my life where I was convinced that the Holy Spirit brought a particular Scripture to mind in the moment when I need it. Something that I wasn't necessarily automatically thinking about, but in the moment of need, I could tell that the Holy Spirit was bringing that Scripture back to my mind so that I would dwell on it and focus on it in the moment when I needed to be focusing on it. And in John 14, verse 26, Jesus said this. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I shared this story a long time ago, but I actually know a man who told me that his father came to faith in Jesus Christ while he was riding the train in and out of Philly, uh, because at one point he had a lot of time just to sit and, and, and think, and he wasn't a believer, but growing up he had been to church many times, and the Holy Spirit brought to his mind certain scriptures that were taught to him when he was just a child, and as the Holy Spirit brought those things to his mind as an adult, these things all of a sudden became clear to him, and he recognized his need to trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus specifically said, the Holy Spirit, what's he going to do? He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He reminds us of the things that are communicated to us by Jesus Christ. He reminds us of the scriptures. We're also told as we continue our look at what the Holy Spirit does, and by the way, we're about halfway through the list, about halfway through. Isn't it amazing to think about all the Holy Spirit is doing for you and for me? This is becoming a long list, and it's not even all the things. It's just a sampling of what he's doing. But we're also told that the Holy Spirit guides believers, that we're being guided by the Holy Spirit. He leads us into the truth. He gives us discernment, and he points us in the direction that he's calling us to go. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus said this. We read this a few moments ago, but he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit for his guidance? He delights to guide us. Scripture also makes clear, and this is something, by the way, that uh, in recent days I've been reminded of. um, But Scripture makes it clear to us that the Holy Spirit brings us comfort. It's another aspect of what he delights to do for believers in Jesus Christ. He brings us comfort. It's not always easy to live as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ in the midst of a fallen world, is it? It's not always an easy thing to do. So the Holy Spirit, he comforts us in the midst of the challenges that we face. And likewise, when our hearts are grieving, you know, when you're going through a season of grief, the Holy Spirit delights to console us. And he delights to remind us of the good that is securely being held in store for all who trust in Jesus Christ. 
Uh, scripture tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it's speaking about what was taking place in the era of the early church, but it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, it's not easy for you and I to live in the era that we live in right now, dealing with all different things that we deal with on a daily basis in our own strength. Again, the Holy Spirit, He comforts us. It wasn't easy for the early believers to live in the era that they lived in, as they were dealing with, in many respects, active persecution and ostracization, right? Am I saying that right? Ostracization. Why does that sound weird? We'll just edit that out of the recording, Matt. Um, but they were feeling ostracized, I'll just use it that way, uh, by their culture because they were standing out as an anomaly, and uh, the Holy Spirit comforted them. And in the midst of all of that, uh, their, their faith grew and strengthened. I had a conversation with one of my best friends earlier this week. He had a very, very difficult week. I won't use his name because this is being recorded, but I will ask you to pray for one of my friends. I got a, a text from his cousin one morning, and he said, pray for so-and-so today. And then he told me what was going on. Uh, his brother hadn't shown up for work for a couple days, and so his brother works in New York City. His brother's probably about two years older than me, and my friend is the exact same age as me. And, um, and he hadn't shown up to work for a couple days, and so uh, work called the family and said, hey, do you know, and his brother was single, and uh, so there wasn't anyone else there in his apartment. And uh, work called his parents, actually, and said, do you know where so-and-so is? He hasn't been showing up for work. And so they called my friend and said, could you just drive up to New York and just see uh, if he's okay and find out what's going on? And so my friend drove up there the other morning. This was Wednesday morning. And he discovered his big brother dead in bed. Apparently, he'd had either a heart attack or an aneurysm. And he died most likely Sunday night. You didn't find him till Wednesday morning. And uh, I've been talking back and forth with my friend who's also a believer and uh, just, just chatting with him and, and uh, just wanting to be there for him in the midst of all of this. And one of the things that he's able to testify is the fact, and he was close to his brother, but he said one of the things that he's able to testify to the fact that the Holy Spirit is comforting him in the midst of all he's going through right now, he genuinely can sense the Holy Spirit's presence. He genuinely can sense the comfort that the Holy Spirit is providing him in the midst of one of the most traumatic experiences he's ever had to deal with. And Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit, he comforts. The Holy Spirit is also, right now, working as a witness to Christ in this world, with the goal of bringing Christ glory. I like what it says in John chapter 16, verse 14. It says, He will glorify me. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit at present, at present is witnessing to Christ in this world. Scripture also tells us that the Holy Spirit is actively working and participating to build up the church body. Believers are being strengthened, believers are being sanctified, believers are being built up and united by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 verse 22 says, In Him you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is actively building you and I up, and He's uniting us one to another. This past Sunday night at Bluestone Church, there's a woman that attends there that's only become a believer just a few months ago. And uh, one of the things that she testified to the other night was the fact that she so looks forward to Sunday nights because of the opportunity that she has to fellowship with other believers, and she doesn't have that opportunity, at least that she knows of, during the course of her week. So Sunday nights are a real respite for her and an encouragement, and the Holy Spirit is building her up and building the church body up and uniting the Christians all throughout the world through Him. And she feels that connection. She feels unity with her brothers and sisters in Christ as she sees the Holy Spirit accomplishing this. few other things that I want to point out. During the Old Testament era, so I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read through the Old Testament and compared what you're reading in the Old Testament to the New Testament, but when the Holy Spirit was at work during the Old Testament era, He would indwell certain believers. And when He would indwell them, it was typically to accomplish a certain task or for a certain purpose. But one of the things that becomes clear when you're reading through the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit did not indwell all believers all the time. In fact, do you ever, do you ever sing the song, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me? Do you remember that song? It's based on the Psalms. And in that Psalm, David gets to a point where he, where he says, Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Do you ever sing that? You know, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And then, it's funny, when I learned what I'm about to share here, I felt like I had to sing that song differently. In a lot of contexts, I stopped singing that line. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to sing that line. But I stopped singing that line because David, living as an Old Testament believer, could have the Holy Spirit taken from him. Because the Holy Spirit would only indwell believers for a certain period of time for certain tasks. And he recognized that in the midst of his rebellion against the Lord, he thought, you know what? Um, he very well may take his Holy Spirit from me. And he's asking, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you know that in our era, living under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit indwells all believers all the time. And he doesn't leave and go away or change his mind. He doesn't indwell you and I temporarily or momentarily. He indwells all believers. From the moment we trust in Jesus Christ, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and that is ongoing, and it doesn't change. It's one of the benefits that you and I have in living under the new covenant that believers living under the old covenant didn't have the privilege to enjoy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. I mean, the Holy Spirit, He lives within us. Our bodies are therefore His temple. He lives within us. He makes our bodies His temple. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. A couple other things, two other things I want to share with us related to His ministry. The Word of God also makes it clear that the Holy Spirit baptizes believers. Now, when we practice water baptism, what we're doing is we're participating in something that's a visible symbol of something that the Holy Spirit invisibly accomplishes 
in our lives. So the moment we trusted in Christ, we are identified with Christ, we're made part of Christ's family, we're made part of the church through the invisible baptism accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And when we practice water baptism, we're actually testifying to that in a visible sense. But the Holy Spirit baptizes us in an invisible way at the moment we trust in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Every believer... One other thing I want to share about what the Holy Spirit does for us is this. Scripture also tells us that the Holy Spirit seals believers. He seals us, meaning we're confirmed as belonging to God and we're marked as His possession forever by the Holy Spirit. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we can now be confident that nothing can separate us or snatch us away from Him. We belong to Him forever. The Holy Spirit has sealed everyone who genuinely trusts in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Isn't it fascinating to consider all of these things? And by the way, the list I just shared shares many of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing for us, but not all. That's just many. Those are some of the major highlights. But there's even more that He's doing for us. And I think it's fascinating to consider the many different ways that the Holy Spirit is actively and personally ministering to the body of Christ. I want to give us two practical pieces of advice today as we finish up our time looking at what the Scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit. Practical piece of advice number one is this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what I mean. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So again, we have reference to the fact that He sealed us, but the Apostle Paul was challenging us, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So knowing that the Holy Spirit is God, And seeing from the teaching of Scripture that He isn't a force, but a person, and experiencing the many different ways that He's ministering to us, we should be mindful to honor Him by moving in the direction that He's leading us to go. But sadly, just as every single one of us has the capacity to grieve those who love us most, also we have the capacity to grieve the Holy Spirit. You and I can, unfortunately, grieve the Holy Spirit. So... That means that every time you or I engage in sin, we're displaying the fruit of unbelief. We're showing that in whatever area we're choosing to engage in sin, that in that particular area, we're actually still struggling to believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything that we need. The Holy Spirit who loves us and who lives within us is grieved in moments like that. Because part of his ministry is to testify to us continually. He testifies to our hearts that we don't need to go in the direction that our old sinful nature is nudging us to go in. Holy Spirit reminds us that he's given us his power. He's given us his presence. He's right here with us. We don't need to go in the direction 
that our old sinful nature is going in. We don't need to grieve the Holy Spirit. We have the capacity to grieve Him, but we don't need to. On the contrary, we've been empowered to trust in Christ by Him. We have been privileged to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We've been blessed to experience the joys of salvation that our Heavenly Father ordained in eternity past that we would experience. So we don't need to grieve the Holy Spirit. So that's practical piece of advice number one. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Practical piece of advice number two is this. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Scripture tells us that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. But that phrase, and this is where we're going to finish today, that phrase is often misunderstood. It's not often uh, spoken of correctly, in my opinion. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 speaks of this. There it tells us, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, all believers are permanently indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Every believer is permanently indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But not all believers are presently living as men and women who are filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be controlled by Him and to be fully surrendered to Him. Uh, this concept, it conveys the, the kind of idea that all of our lives would be filled to the brim with His presence. That's the idea, that we're just like filled up with His presence, like a cup that's overflowing. And many Christians, unfortunately, are not experiencing the fullness of His power. They're not experiencing the fullness of His presence because they're presently quenching the Holy Spirit. They're presently grieving the Holy Spirit while choosing to go in a direction that is not in line with His leading. But God's will for us is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that our lives, as those who trust in Jesus Christ, would joyfully and powerfully testify to His presence at work within us. So let me say this. I don't know if you've struggled in the past to understand or appreciate who the Holy Spirit is. I don't know if you've wrestled with trying to understand what He seeks to do for us as believers. But after looking at these particular scriptures that we've looked at today, what I'm hoping is that our appreciation for who the Holy Spirit is, for His identity, our appreciation for His identity, and likewise our appreciation for His ministry among us, I'm hoping that our appreciation for these things has grown even just a little bit. So going forward then, if that's the case, I think it's probably wise for us to begin asking ourselves this question. Will I spend my life grieving the Holy Spirit or being filled with Him? Isn't that our option? Will I spend my life grieving Him or will I spend my life filled with Him? Will I embrace Him? Will I just be confident of His power and His presence? Will I fully surrender myself to His leading? Or will I grieve Him by fighting against what He's trying to do in my life? That's the option we have. We can grieve Him, or we can be filled with Him. And all of us have to wrestle with that very thing. So how will we answer that question?
In just a moment, we're going to partake in communion together. And as we partake in communion together, we're reminded of the very thing that the Holy Spirit tries to regularly bring to our attention. As we looked in the Scriptures just a moment ago, the Holy Spirit tries to bring our attention to Christ. He tries to glorify Christ and point us toward Christ. And one of the things that Jesus gave to us was communion as something that would aid us and something that would display in a physical way what He has accomplished for us in a spiritual way. As we partake of the bread, we're reminded of the body of Christ which was given for us. As we partake of the juice, we're reminded of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Before we partake in communion together this morning, I'd like us to just take a moment to pray and to just confess before the Lord the things that we're wrestling with or areas of sin that we've invited into our life, whatever we need to confess before Him, and then we're going to partake of communion together. So let's just pray silently for just a moment, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning and we confess that there are all sorts of areas of our lives that we still wrestle with unbelief. Lord, it's very easy for us to try and go in our own direction. It's very easy for us to hear what you have said, but then sometimes think that we're wiser than you. And sometimes, Lord, we're really, really good at minimizing our sin. We treat it like it's no big deal, and yet when we look at Your Word, You tell us that it grieves You. Lord, we confess to You that every single one of us in this room have grieved You. We recognize that we've grieved You even this week. But Lord, we're grateful for the fact that You invite us to come before You, to confess our sin before You, to be cleansed of unrighteousness, and to walk empowered by You in the midst of this fallen world, knowing that you've given us strength, knowing that you see us as holy and blameless in your sight, and knowing that we are deeply loved. And even though David in the Old Testament prayed to you, you would not take the Holy Spirit away from him. Father, we know that you have no intention of taking the Holy Spirit away from us under this new covenant that Jesus inaugurated with the shedding of His blood, we're blessed with the indwelling presence of Your Holy Spirit. And we're grateful for this reality. So Lord, thank You for what Your Word teaches us. Thank You for the fact that You're continually pointing us to Your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank You, Lord, for the reminders that we have now of His body and His blood being treated so poorly and so disparagingly, so that our sin could be atoned for. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.